Good evening. It's good to be back with you this evening to spend some more time in God's Word, finding what, it, what His will is for us so that we can apply it to our lives to be better servants of His. I've really enjoyed my time here today, and I've enjoyed times uh, spent with the Hamilton family at lunch and then at their house talking. And I want to thank them for their hospitality and the kindness that has been shown to me today. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training up in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I want to ask you a question. Are you equipped? Are you ready for every good work? And the question is, if not, then why not? When it comes to evangelism, I think that in many ways society has poisoned many Christians' mindsets. And this is not an attack on any one, any one Christian or Christianity as a whole. This is just for contemplation. Is something that I've noticed at my age that I've seen play out too many times that I've heard phrases like, I'm too old for that. And that time in my life is just, that's behind me. Or maybe, I'm too young for that. I'm not there yet in my age or in my understanding. There are people who are older and wiser than me. Maybe it's just a, I don't know enough. I don't want to talk to people at work because I'm going to embarrass myself. I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's, I'm too busy working. I have kids of my own. I have a full-time job. I have all this stuff going on in my life, and I'm too busy. Oddly enough, I've actually heard people say, I'm too busy relaxing, whether they're already in retirement. Like I said, that, that time's behind me. I'm, I'm past that. There's younger people who have more time on their hands to do that. And some people say, man, the time's just not right for me. And other people have emotional reasons as to not try to evangelize. Whether they've tried before and been embarrassed, they've been persecuted, and things like that happen. There's an infinite number of excuses or reasons a person can have to not spread God's good news. But I heard a quote that sticks with me, and I love this quote. It says, excuses will always be there for you, but opportunity will not. I don't know who the quote is from. I found it on Google. Don't judge me. But Excuses will always be there for you, but opportunity will not. This evening, I want to take a look at a few examples of some people who didn't make the excuses that they could have. Let's start off in 2 Kings. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 
Oftentimes when we read 2 Kings 5 in the story of Naaman, we tend to focus on the application of baptism. And I think that's a fair application to make. And as a matter of fact, that's one I'll turn to at, at the end of the sermon. But there's so much more going on in the story. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we only focus on the fact that he was immersed in water. Let's read 2 Kings 5 verses 1 through 14. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, and that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Like I mentioned a second ago, we tend to focus on the baptism aspect, and again, I think it's a fair application. But we tend to skip over the evangelism aspect that is displayed here. Go back to verse 1. You have Naaman. He's, he's a mighty man in the eyes of his master. He's got all these things going for him. And interestingly, even, even though he's an enemy of God's people, God gave him victory over Israel in verse 1. But even with all of that going for him, he had an Achilles heel. And that was that he was a leper. And here's where we're introduced to a little slave girl. Now, the Hebrew for this word is interesting because at the age of 13 is when a girl would be considered a woman in the Hebrew language. So the fact that she is called a little girl shows that she is younger than 13. 
And I tell you, as a little girl, she puts me to shame. Imagine for a second you're in her position. You're, you're at your house, and you hear some ruckus going on outside, and you realize that you're being raided. Enemies are stealing your stuff. You see death, and people are being kidnapped. And all of a sudden, you're kidnapped. And you're forced to work in the service of your enemy. And you don't have a choice in the matter. What would your attitude be about that? I would despise my kidnapper. I would hate them. I would fight every day to leave. Think about it. You're ripped from the land of your faith. You're ripped away from your spouse, from your brothers, from your sisters, from all of your loved ones. They're gone, and you're alone. Now imagine finding out that your kidnapper has a terrible disease that he has to suffer with for the rest of his life. You know what I'm thinking? Good. I'm glad. I would have no sympathy for him. And I tell you, I wouldn't want to share any good news with him. Brethren, that's not justifiable. That's a bad attitude on my part. But look at what this little girl does. In verse 3, she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. And you know what sticks out to me about that? There is no indication in the text that she's using that as a bargaining chip to be set free. She doesn't say, I know someone that can help if you let me go. She just says, I know someone that can help. She shared good news with him because it was the right thing to do. And she made no excuse. And that puts me to shame. Because I'm the one who has made excuses in my life as to why I can't do something. And that's why I've chosen to preach now, because I need to do better. You contrast her. I'm not the only one she put to, cha- it put to shame. The king of Israel was put to shame. Think about it. He's the leader of God's people. He's the one who's supposed to know, you know, when I'm confronted with something of this nature, talk to God, send for the prophet. But what, what did he do? What did he display? He displayed a spirit of fear. When the king of Israel read the letter in verse 7, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. He was only concerned for himself. And he had a spirit of fear. And he should have. He was losing these battles against Syria for a reason. I think it's interesting. This is a side note. In verse 8, there seems to be no indication that the king had actually sent for Elisha at all. It seems to me in the text that Elisha just happened to catch wind of the king tearing his clothes. He says, why have you torn your, torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
you have the little girl who helps the big, strong, successful man. The little girl helps him. You have a big, strong king, the leader of Israel, tear his clothes because he was at his wit's end. And it was the old, bald prophet that helped him. It was the prophet who was shamed on occasions for being bald. And I know for us that may sound humorous, but that was a cultural thing back then. That was a big deal. That would have been like a big reason to not want to be in the public eye. But he was. And he stepped into a role of leadership where the king failed to do so. We wouldn't have had this story without the courage and the grace of this little girl. My point with this is, is that when God's will is at work, there is no excuse to not serve that's valid. Turn over to 1 Samuel. And here's where we're going to read about our second character. 1 Samuel 17. And we're all familiar with the story of David and Goliath. We know that David was in the service of his father, and then when Goliath had come to attack Israel, that David was sent to bring supplies over to his brothers. And he hears, he hears Goliath taunting, and he starts asking about it, inquiring about it, and asking, why does nobody, you know, who's going to stand up to him? And then in verse 31... When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I, got, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. We'll stop right there. Now you might be thinking, Ethan, this is a story about a war and a guy killing a giant. What does that have to do with Philistine? Let me tell you. You have a man who could have made an excuse. I'm too young. I'm too scared. There, you know, the, the, king, the king is there. The king should do it. There's other people who are better at this than I am. He could have, but he didn't. And the other thing you see is his motive. Everything about it was God-centered, not self-centered. It wasn't a, look at me, I'm so strong, I'm so young, and I killed this giant. It was God-centered. He did it because it was the right thing to do. The other reason why this applies is because Although they're not real in front of us, we have giants that we face. We have giants that we face. And David stood up to his, and we can stand up to ours. <coughs> David protected God's people. And when we evangelize, that is what we are doing. When I preach, I preach to help grow the kingdom of God. To bring those who are on the outside to the inside. So that God's name can be spread. And it's not special. It's not about me. It's about God. Let's turn over and look at 1 Corinthians 1. I'm trying to establish that there's no excuse you can think of that is valid. But in case you're still thinking there is a valid excuse, I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. 
If you're thinking you're too old to do something, good, do it, because God will receive the glory. If you're thinking you're too young to do something, good, do it, so that God can receive the glory. Everything we do is supposed to be to the glory of Him. No excuse to not serve is valid. And I've been trying to challenge myself. And I hope you'll do the same. If there is something spiritually that you find yourself making an excuse as to why someone else can do it, don't make the excuse. And have the attitude that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to go over there because I don't want to misquote it. In Isaiah chapter 6, and verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Challenge yourself that if there's something you don't want to do or don't feel equipped to do, say, here I am, send me. It's for the glory of God. Spreading the good news of Jesus is a blessed thing to do. There are souls who may perish if they don't hear the good news. And you have the opportunity to spread life-saving news. The news that Jesus Christ died for you because He loves you. Naaman had an issue. He had leprosy. And it was affecting his entire life. And at one time, all of us who are baptized know that we too at one time had leprosy. We were lepers with sin. And we were washed. And we were made new. And we're so blessed and we know it. Don't you want to spread that blessing to others? Don't you want to share that good news with others and tell them that they can be washed This evening, you have an opportunity to make your life right with God if it's not. Whether you're not a Christian and you're walking out of step with the Lord and you, wanna, you want to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, you can do that. If you are a Christian and you're stumbling, you have the opportunity to make that right. And I want to share the good news with you. Jesus died for you. His blood is for you. And you can be made right with God. If there's anything we can do for you of a spiritual nature this evening, then I ask that you please come forward as we stand and sing.